Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. All right. Hello. Today I have one of my, uh, I can't say old swimmers, but one of my former swimmers who I've known since she was a little kid, and I coached her as an age grouper, and she's here today because I really believe that there's these stories of swimming and I want to share them. And we were talking the other day about this and she wanted to talk about the story of swimming and how that has helped her as she is dealing with cancer. So I'd like to welcome my friend and former swimmer, Heather West. Thank you. Hi, I'm happy to be here. (laughs) This is, this is really good. So I've known you since you're a little kid. I mean, my nickname for you is Munchkin. I still want to call you that when I see you. And now you're a young woman and you have cancer. And we were talking about this, this story of you and how swimming gave you skill sets that you use today. Can you share with that with the listeners? Yeah. So um, I was diagnosed when I was 27 with stage four colon cancer. Um, And as you can imagine, and hopefully uh, none of you will have to go through this, it changed my life a lot. Um, I went from being extremely active to just being totally knocked out in bed for a week at a time as I was going through treatment, the first round of treatment that I was on. Uh, And it was pretty difficult, um, both physically and mentally, to lie in bed as weird as that might sound, um, I think most people would welcome a, a chance to have a break and and rest. But it was really mentally challenging for me to to deal with that. And I think one of the big things that helped me was being able to divide my my time up, just like you do when a swim coach gives you a really long set. Um, into instead of saying, "Okay, I was never much of a long distance." swimmer anyways. But when a coach would say, okay, uh, 10 200s, fastest possible average, not worrying about the 10, but thinking about, okay, I'm going to hit my mark for these first two and then see what happens. And I I tried to do the same thing with, with chemotherapy treatments in the sense of, okay, I know I have these first two weeks and I'm going to have one treatment and I just have to get through that. And then I'm going to worry about the next thing. Um, and I think just being able to mentally break things up like that helped me a lot. And that's just one example, I guess, of how swimming and I also participated in a number of other sports here in Davis um, really helped me mentally get through uh, the first treatment that I was on. When you were first going through this, did you realize you were tapping into the skill set that you had as an athlete? No, not at all. I mean, I think so much of athletics growing up for me was about the the physical aspect of it. Okay, I I know I can run three miles at this pace, ready, go. And it wasn't ever um, a mental 
game so much. I, I didn't, I don't think I ever put my finger on, you know, what, what about swimming or running or playing water pole? You know, what about that was mental for me? Um, and it wasn't until I, I guess, became more of a mature athlete that the mental aspect of sports really came into play. And when I was diagnosed, there was, I mean, there's a physical aspect to cancer, but you're not, um, it's, it's not necessarily about kind of that hard work mentality. Uh, and so it took me a while to figure out how to transfer those skills and I'm still working on it because, you know, I'm not, um, out there running a five minute mile. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, okay, the goal today is can you walk for 20 minutes? Um, after treatment, or can you get in the pool? No, there was no goal around how many yards or how fast it was. Can you just get to the pool today? Um, and so it it took a while to kind of let go of the goal part of sports, I guess. So I mean, the goal was quite different, but letting go of the typical. Um, you know, time, pace, distance, and just saying, okay, the goal is to show up. Um, and it's something that it's taken me a while to shift towards that understanding of what it means to still apply kind of athletic mental resilience and stamina to something that many people um, don't necessarily see as top athletic performance when you're fighting cancer, right? Those, mm-hmm. those things don't go hand in hand. Well, when you're an athlete, right? The, when you're in practice, the measurement, it, there's so many measurements that we have. Are you making the set? What are your times? What are your heart rate? Mm-hmm. And, and it's about pushing your body past the pain. And so when you're going through, you know, this, this process of chemo and, and, and fighting with cancer or dealing with cancer, it's a different measurement, right? It's it's about letting go of that identity of, oh, this is how many yards I need to swim or this is what a workout needs to be instead of going, and now it's this time it's, I'm going to go and move and 20 minutes will be a good thing for me mm-hmm. and that's okay. And it sounds like there has to be a shift in your identity of what you were once able to do and what you're able to do right now. Definitely. And I think a couple of people that were in my life has have helped me uh, really come to terms with that and move forward. And I've always been a firm believer in quality, not quantity, <laughs> um, which I know you probably hear uh, in your house a lot, Corinne. <laughs> um, but I think as more of a um, sprinter-oriented swimmer, um, that has always really resonated with me. I was definitely the athlete that was like, when is taper starting? (laughs) Let's get this moving. I need more rest. Um, So I think that has definitely been helpful to have people remind me of, okay, quality. And then also I've, I've tried to establish some benchmarks in this kind of new normal that I'm in. So, you know, growing up, it was a two-hour swim workout where you're maybe doing 5,000 yards and your pace is, you know, you're doing hundreds on the 115. And now I'm not worried about my pace. I'm not worried about how long I'm in the pool. It's, 
you know, establishing a new normal of yardage and then thinking about, okay, can I swim this 100 really fast or make sure that I'm getting a couple of sprints in every workout. Um, And I think the same thing with cancer, it's not me focusing. I I mean, I definitely have the end goal in mind here of I want to get better. I want to be um, a doctor to tell me you're Ned, which is no evidence of disease, but I have to really trust myself in the process to get there and kind of let go of that end result, I guess, because there's so many factors that go into that that are out of my control from um, how fast research is moving to the genetic profile of disease. You can't really change that. Um, and it's the same thing in sports. You can't change how other people, like who else is showing up in your race. Um, you can't change, uh, you know, a random fluke occurrence where you get the flu right before a meet. Like those are things you can't really change. You can do your best to, to create successful circumstances, but there are things that are just completely out of your control. Well, I want to go back to what you said about trusting yourself in the process, because as an athlete, there is trust, right? Trusting yourself that you can do these things that may really scare you Mm -hmm. or trusting your coach who's putting together a program for you that, okay, they're going to design this training system for you in the season along with the taper. And of course, I'm going to swim fast at the end, right? Mm -hmm. Where you have that belief of, this is what we do and, and we're going to execute it or this is what we do and we're going to do really well at sections and water polo. Mm-hmm. And this is the program and trusting that. And when you're going through cancer, there's a shift, isn't there? Because instead of having somebody who you can say, here you go, you just tell me what to do and I'll show up and do it most of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's changed now, hasn't it? Yeah. And I I would love to have someone that just takes this on for me, right? But that's unrealistic. It's so difficult for me to explain um, how this is impacting my life and how I feel all the time. That's all in me. And it's not it's not like someone's watching me in the pool every day um, and can understand, oh, Heather looks a little tired. Let's back off. Or, oh, Heather um, looks really great today. Maybe we should up how much she's in the weight room or something, you know, it's, it's not like that. I'm the only person that's at every appointment, um, at every treatment, you know, waking up at night with stomach pains. And I try to articulate that to people, but I really have to be able to transfer those skills of understanding the coaches in the past that have really gotten to know me and know what I need and what I you know, my, I guess, makeup as a swimmer or an athlete, and then try to transfer that to what I need as a patient. And you have to be able to articulate it. I think in growing up in sports, coaches could see, or you could just kind of play along, right? But now I have to be my own advocate in this, um, you know, journey with cancer and I have to be able to articulate what I need and where I want to go and surround myself with the types of teammates and and coaches that I need in order to to feel good day in and day out. So it's almost like you have to give 
yourself permission to feel what you feel, you know, and let yourself go, this is real. And while I thought I could do X, this is what I need to do right now. Whereas a coach may say, Heather, you're done. Get out of practice, mm-hmm. right? It's always a beautiful thing when a coach gives you permission <laughs> to leave. There's no guilt. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, Pete said I can get out. Then I right. must be able to get out. Right. <laughs> There's absolutely no guilt in that. Versus when it's our own selves, it's about trusting ourselves, isn't it? That we can be the boss of ourselves, that what we are feeling is actually what we are feeling. Mm-hmm. And this is what we believe our body needs right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think when you are in the pool and everything is stripped away, you know, you don't have, I guess we didn't really have cell phones growing up. I do remember the first cell phone. We had this like tiny pink cell phone that all four of us shared. It's pretty ridiculous. But, um, you know, when you're in the pool, you don't have distractions. That's what I love about swimming is you're just there and you're, it's, it's meditative to me. Um, in the sense of you're just focusing on your body and your body position. And I think with with cancer, um, I have to be able to trust myself in that same way of stripping down to bare bones of what I need. Um, and I always kind of like to think about it. Someone once said of when you have cancer, there are these kind of concentric circles that are around you and you're in the middle. And, um, you know, my closest family is in the next circle, closest friends in the next circle, and it kind of radiates out from there. But all of the energy, positive energy needs to be coming in and any negative energy, because believe me, there's plenty of anxiety, plenty of worry, right? That that comes in with the diagnosis of cancer needs to be going out and none of that can't be coming in. And so I think with with cancer, for me, it's been about, okay, let's make a priority list of what stays, what goes, and be realistic in what you can do with your day. Be realistic what you can do with your week, but still push yourself and have confidence that you'll get there eventually. So maybe today I can only do this radio show with you, but tomorrow maybe I can do well, I'm not really, you know, doing radio shows every day, but maybe I can do the radio show and a swim. And then maybe the next day I can do three things. But then the fourth day I got to move back to two things. So just believing that you you can build strength, you can build resilience if you just continue to put one foot in front of the other. So going back to, again, being an athlete, I remember, I don't know if you remember Matt Batani, but when he was, I think, a junior in high school, he had mono. And mm-hmm. it was going into sections and high school swimming is a really big deal in our town. And and he really wanted to do well. And he was mad because Pete would only let him swim 200 yards at practice. Mm-hmm. And for those out there, 200 yards is eight laps. I mean, we do, you know, two, uh, 200 laps in practice, right, at least. And But Pete had said, no, that is a lot of work for where your body is right now. And you will be okay, but you have to trust this. Mm-hmm. So again, it's that math of, Here's what I, I'm supposed to do. Here's the belief system of what I was supposed to have. But here's somebody I trust saying, no, this will be enough. And, you know, again, now as an adult and being a high achiever, because let's face it, Heather, not only were you a great swimmer and a great water polo player, and then you went off and you played at Stanford, you even did some swimming at Stanford, and then you went to Yale. I mean, and you got a double degree in, at grad school, correct? 
Yes. So, you're, you're, I mean, you are a high achiever in in your life. And then to be able to pull back and, or to no, to have to pull back, mm-hmm. how is that for you? Because so humbling. Vers- versus when a coach, you know, it's frustrating for an athlete when a coach like Matt Batani, he was very mad. I will remember that day forever, <laughs> you know, and he just thought this is not going to be okay. And he actually swam pretty well at sections, right? But it's one thing, again, when a coach says who you trust, who you've grown up with, says, okay, you will be okay. Mm-hmm. How is it for you when you don't have that coach? Yeah, it's it's very humbling. And I've definitely run into issues with doctors and in wanting to articulate to them kind of my constitution towards life and not, you know, not to be just one more patient, but try to articulate to them what not what I've achieved, but just the the standards that I've set for myself. And I think there's a a balance in all of this of continuing to have similar, I guess, benchmarks and standard of excellence and how you operate, but letting go of of that at the same time. Um, and I haven't actually talked through this before, so bear with me for a moment. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that you have to understand yourself well enough to kind of move forward with with the momentum that you've created in your life, but still let go of kind of these different definitions of success that you've created at the same time, I guess. And I'm I'm a pretty stubborn person. I mean, you know my mom and dad. They're stubborn people. Um, and highly competitive. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, when I was diagnosed, I was actually in my third year, like very beginning of the third year and final year of grad school. And I was stubborn enough to to finish and graduate on time. And I think you have to not let cancer define you, but also use it as an opportunity, or at least I have tried to, at least to, um, again, kind of strip everything away and figure out what it is that's super important to you and what drives you and motivates you and focus on those things. Um, and I definitely still have benchmarks and dreams and goals. And um, my dad laughs at me all the time because he always uses the example. I think when I was little, I said that I wanted to open a German bookstore. I don't speak German and <laughs> bookstores are like not really, you know, a, a valid business proposition at the moment. But he always laughs at me because I still throw things out, you know, of like, oh, I want to write a book or, oh, I would love to go live in Colombia and get better at Spanish. And I think it's important to still have those really big audacious goals because that's who I am. Um, that drive me and and give me hope in all of this. Well, and then going back, you know, to the swimming, mm-hmm. when you were a kid, did you have big goals and big dreams oh, as an yeah, athlete? Definitely. I mean, so my mom, uh, my mom and dad met at UC Davis, but before my mom went to UC Davis, she was she grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and um was a good swimmer and then became a great swimmer. She went to the Olympics in 1972 in Munich and won two gold medals and broke two world records. 
Um, and you can't possibly grow up with, <laughs> with a mom that's an Olympian without imagining that for yourself. Um, and it wasn't ever, I never felt pressure to achieve that. It was more of this, I always believe that if you're exposed to something, it makes it easier for you to believe that you could actually do that yourself. Um, and I never really felt pressure. The only time was I remember that my mom pushed me to swim was if I had a cold, she always said, oh, you'll feel better if you get in the pool. <laughs> but that's the only thing I remember her her pushing me um, in terms of athletic performance. And so, yes, to answer your question, I always had big dreams. Um, my parents, I think, struck a, a balance uh, or a healthy balance in asking me to be the best athlete I could be, but also, you know, be a good person and do well academically. Um, and I did not make the Olympics, um, but, you know, I know what it takes to get there. I've been surrounded by by people that have achieved that dream. And I really am trying actually to to shift my thinking on this current situation I'm in as like my big test, you know, in life. And I think some people, their big test is something amazing, like going to Olympics. But my big test at the moment is fighting cancer as much as I don't like to use that word fighting or to fight. But because um, I'm not, I don't, I don't feel like I'm fighting every day. I'm living, I'm trying to, you know, live a fulfilling life. Um, but I think that it's been an important shift in my thinking to have this be my big goal right now and think about the dedication I see in a couple of friends that are trying to achieve their Olympic dreams today um, in dedication and, you know, mental preparation, physical preparation, the food they put into their body, the people that they surround themselves with. I'm trying to transfer that understanding and skill set and knowledge to what I'm trying to do today. And the goal is very different, um, less glamorous. Uh, you don't get a gold medal at the end of this. Maybe someone will give me one. I don't know. But, um, you know, it's it's not quite the same stage, obviously. And the ethic and result is different. But I think that the time and energy is similar and and that's been a really important shift for me as well to to feel like I have a goal again you know as you're talking about this Heather and I think about you know you as the athlete and then shifting over and 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 when I transition from an athlete to a coach it, it's there's a different side right because again as the athlete you get to just show up. And I mean, there's a lot that you have to do as an athlete, mm -hmm. but then the coach, there's so many more perspectives. And then as you're talking earlier about the constraint of a coach of, okay, what are the important priorities that we need to focus on? And what are the things that we're just not going to bring in because the capacity is not there or it's just, there's not enough time, mm -hmm. you know, to do those things. So there's, there's a lot of thought that goes in when, when somebody is coaching versus being an athlete. And it's like you're merging both those worlds, right? In yep. your in your journey right now. And as you talk about, you know, like this with with cancer right now and it is your Olympics and having that constraint and having those boundaries of who are the people I'm gonna allow in, 
Where's my focus going to be? What are the things that, you know, are going to be a priority right now? What are the things that just can't be? Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And I mean, when you're an, an athlete, like the kids that we know, or they're not kids because <laughs> you guys are all adults now. Um, I'm just getting older, but you know, we that, all are. <laughs> the, the, you know, the Gregs who are training for the trials, mm-hmm. right? There, there's a lot of constraint. There's boundaries. There are things that you give up when you are in training that other people get to go and do, but you make that choice because you have something that you want to train for. And you're looking for, you know, some, you're looking for a performance or specific results or you want to, you know, do the best that you can. Mm-hmm. And isn't that the same with you of, okay, Friday night rolls around, maybe you have plans, but you're not feeling as good. And you say no to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like a high level athlete in training. Definitely. And I, I think I have noticed and understand what a privilege it is to be able to do that, um, to, to see my friends like. Caitlin Gregg, who I grew up with, um, going for her Olympic dream. And even on a on a different level, just seeing my friends, and I don't think they think like this, but seeing friends that are are working. Um, it's a I think it's a privilege to have a job that you enjoy going to every day. Um, and I I don't think that perhaps many people see it that way. Um, <laughs> but you know, when you're forced to sit in bed for a week and your normal is doing 20 million things a day and being able to ask your body to do anything, you, you realize what, um, a wonderful gift it is to be able to go for your Olympic dream, to be able to provide for your family, to be able to have a family. Um, and I think that that has been really, eye-opening for for me and understanding what the norm is in society, what my normal is, and then where I want to be just in life. Um, and I, I think that, you know, that that focus that you're talking about, Corinne, of, of being able to prioritize who's in your life and what you want to be doing each day is an important skill to have if you don't have cancer, mm-hmm. um, like regardless of where you are in your life, I think I am still a yes person. If someone says, oh, do you want to um, come to a pool party in San Francisco on Saturday? Like, yes, that sounds great. I love water. I love hanging out with you, love seeing friends. And when the day rolls around, it's like, well, I did not sleep last night and it's not safe for me to drive. Like mm-hmm. I have to say no. Um, and just being able to prioritize those things is important in, I think, the world today because so much of what happens is people asking for your time and you have to be able to to prioritize and obviously, you know, help other people, but you need to be able to know what your limits are and what you can do with your day. And so much of what I focus on is day to day. I keep saying that, I think, but um, it's really hard for me to plan. And as my family knows, I'm a big planner. You know, I like having a, not necessarily like a one-year plan or a five-year plan, but I'm definitely the person that's like, okay, I'm, I am, you know, going to this place in September. Um, and I, I can't do that quite as much anymore. It's, it's forced me to be present in day to day, which I think is actually really healthy. 
Mm-hmm. How do you handle when you are in those week long stretches in bed and not feeling well? How do you handle your mindset? It's so challenging. Um, it, you know, the the week long stretches were the first six months of when I was diagnosed, and I'm at about oh uh, twenty two months at this point. So since diagnosis, um, and I think when you're first diagnosed with cancer, obviously people respond very differently. But I was in shock. Um, I you know, had symptoms the summer leading up to my diagnosis, but I thought I had something like a thyroid problem. It never crossed my mind that it might be something incredibly, incredibly serious. Um, And so I think I initially in those first six months when I was doing chemo every two weeks and the first week I was just flat on my back, um, I had a really hard time mentally with with that. And I think just trying to articulate what I needed and really focus on the basics of what I needed in my life was really important. And this is this is the point in which I kind of came up with this or remembered this idea from swimming of, okay, don't be overwhelmed by this practice or this hell week, focus on this individual set or in hell week, this individual practice, and then you get to sleep. So the reward like swimming was always more sleep (laughs) when I was on chemo. It's like, okay, if I can just get to 8 PM, then I can sleep for 12 hours. (laughs) Um, which is funny because we were we were chatting about sleep a little bit before this, but that was always a reward. So just kind of setting it up into more manageable chunks of time um, was really important. Having that end, knowing that, okay, at, at this point, this practice will end. At this point at eight o'clock, I can sleep. Mm-hmm. There, there will be that end. And that sounds like that really helped with the mental of the agony of it, the mm-hmm. when will this end instead of making it short term. I mean, even in hell week, right? That's a course over oh, practices over week that are pretty agonizing. But to know, okay, once I get done with this set, then at least I have a break. Or once I get done with even this hundred, at least I have three seconds, right? Right. Once I get done with this practice, then I get to go home and eat and take a nap before I come back for the next practice. But having those small steps seem to be really important. And I think as a swimmer, I got to a point where I didn't have to focus on the day-to-day practice where like you could go and put your effort and energy into it, but you had confidence that you could do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And at that point I could move on to, okay, can I do these visualizations about what it's going to be like to, to swim this particular time in the finals of the second championships And what is that going to feel like in my lane? And so instead of years and years of getting to that place with sports, I've had to do that more quickly with cancer where, okay, you know, the first six months, it was just about existing, surviving, like getting to 8 p.m. so I could go to bed. And I think that that was like my six month long hell week almost, (laughs) Um, which was pretty brutal. And then 
you move to this next point where you're like, okay, I got through that somehow. I have no idea how. I know I had no idea my body could do that, but I did it. And now I can think about the next phase of my training, of my treatment, and how I want to approach that. And how can I shape my life around this training where most of my energy is going into this idea and goal. Um, and it's been a, a real transition for me in almost, you, you know, you, for me, at least growing up with sports, it was like, I'm an athlete. I'm not a soccer player. I'm not a swimmer. I'm not a water polo player. I do everything like mm-hmm. I, and I love it. It's so much fun. And with cancer for so long, I just, I didn't want to be seen as a cancer patient. I didn't want to be seen as just this girl with cancer. I wanted people to remember Heather used to be involved in all these things in graduate school. Heather used to, you know, I'm talking about it in the past tense, but be an incredible swimmer. And I think I've moved on to this point of embracing that identity and deciding, okay, these are my present circumstances. I'm going to be the best damn, excuse me if I'm not allowed to cut. That's okay. <laughs> you can cut that out. Um, cancer patient, there is. I'm going to advocate for myself. I'm going to eat the best foods that I can put into my body. I'm going to be kind to myself. I'm going to do the mental exercises I needed so that my body, my immune system is primed for the next treatment. And I think that's where I got in in sports at different points with different sports where you embrace that and you decide okay I want to take my game to the next level what can I do to get there and it's still so fun and I wouldn't necessarily say that fighting cancer is fun <laughs> but with sports it's so fun once you get to that point where you embrace that and you you see people rallying behind you because they see this new um you know, to use Caitlin's term, joyfulness in mm-hmm. in how you approach your sport. And I see that with cancer too, as people see me building more and more resilience, they are embracing um, my story and my journey and supporting me even more because they know that I want to talk about it and I want to hear the information and I want to get better. Um, and I think it's a really great thing about when you're able to vocalize your dreams and your goals and be vulnerable in that when you see people around you rally behind you. As you're talking about this, so much is going on through my head and, you know, the resilience factor that you're talking about, the, that, you know, getting the diagnosis and basically, you know, what a kicking that is to, to get that right. And, and, the struggle and the shock of it, and then being able to say, okay, here I am, this is what I have, and I want to have the focus, and I'm going to take exceptional care of myself, and I'm going to keep going, right? And having mm-hmm. that hope and how then there's other people that can have that and having the constraint, having, you know, being aware of other people's energy. And if, and if they don't have the capacity to be responsible with their energy, and then you just say, you know, it could be like simple as I love you, but mm-hmm. right now you can't be on my team. I mean, it's kind of like 
if you're training or if you're at a meet and then there's that swimmer who's has a lot of drama yep. or the water polo player who's <laughs> really has a lot of drama, you, you put your headphones on or you go sit with somebody else, right? Because you can't let that affect you before mm-hmm. you go out to play um, or to race or to compete, mm-hmm. right? And, and having that wherewithal as a, as a, a young woman going through this is so important and to be able to tap into skill sets that maybe you developed you know, as a kid, as an athlete. Definitely. And I think something you're touching on there is the power of team sports. And I think some people see swimming or running as an individual sport, but the only reason I ran was because my sister, uh, my older sister is two and a half years older, ran, and I wanted to be on the same team as her. And swimming, the same thing. I, I wanted to swim because I enjoyed it, but I also really enjoyed swimming for Pete. And I really enjoyed watching Keenan, who we've talked about, um, you know, in this past week swim. And I enjoyed being at practice with all the goofballs that were in the pool. You know, they just, everyone made it really fun. Um, And I think, you know, water polo is more clearly a team sport, but that ability to know who you want on your team, which you don't really get to choose, right? When you sign up to go play in college or when you sign up for a high school sport, but you do get to choose when you have cancer, you get to decide who you want to be at treatments. You get to decide who you want to do research for you. And I think that um, having that team is so important, even though this is kind of an individual sport for me. Like I have to be able to focus on just my lane and not compare myself to other people that have colon cancer, which may sound weird. But, um, you know, when I first was diagnosed, um, they wouldn't do surgery. And that became such a big focus of me of like, well, everyone else I know has had surgery or everyone else I know is doing the standard of care options. And, you know, when I think back to being an athlete and how my coaches treated me, the the good ones, they understood that different athletes need different things, that their um, ability to handle training was different, that their race style was going to be different, that the, their mental, um, you know, the things that motivated them would be different. And I have to remember that with cancer too of, okay, I can't compare myself to these other people. I'm a unique person and I have to focus on my lane and thinking about my race and not worry about what all these other people are doing. Take that information in, figure out what applies to you and move forward. And I distinctly remember you you said, you know, this kind of nervous frenetic energy of, you know, before a big race and um, being able to separate yourself from this. I, I distinctly remember um, sections my senior year, you know, everyone's sitting under the easy up and someone was freaking out about the race and I was uh, heading into the 100 breast finals. And I remember just getting up, walking away, sitting under the parents easy up because I knew no one would bother me there. Um, and putting my music in and then walking to the blocks, not talking to anyone and just almost executing exactly what Pete 
and I had talked about in terms of stroke count, pace, everything. And I have to remember that, you know, going into each treatment of, okay, if you're going to be there, this is what I need from you. And I need to be doing my guided imagery in the chair. I need to be imagining these drugs going into my body and killing the cancer cells and taking that, taking that out. Um, and being able to articulate that is really important when, you, when you're going through cancer. One of the things that Pete will say is that with elite level athletes is that they are incredibly selfish and it's not, mm-hmm. it's not a bad thing, but they're very good about knowing what do they need and what is okay for them and what's not okay for them. And, you know, and that may mean that if there's, if they're training and we've gone through many cycles going into the Olympics of, you know, you're training for the Olympics and maybe your family's, there's a graduation that's happening mm-hmm. and you may not be able to attend that family graduation because there's an, a finite amount of time that things can occur, or maybe you're at a meet across the country mm-hmm. that you need to go in the progression of going to the Olympic trials. Definitely. Right? And then if, if you make the Olympic team, you're now with the Olympic team for six weeks going in, you know, you're under lockdown. So it doesn't matter if there's all these family events, you're under lockdown. So we can, we can term, you know, in our culture, selfish is considered a really negative thing. But another way is, when you are going for that, you know, big goal in your life, it's about taking extraordinary care for yourself. And it's also, as you used, being an advocate for yourself, mm-hmm. saying, this is what I need, right? And asking for what you want, not demanding. We're not talking about being a prima donna, but really <laughs> saying, this is what I need. I remember in 04, we we're at the Olympic trials and, you know, our whole family went and Pete had Haley and and our, my kids were little at the time. Mm-hmm. Mia was four and Elle was, uh, she was still in diapers. So I don't know, two maybe. And then we had Ty and Samantha there and, you know, she'd do a race and it would take an hour for her to warm down in the pool. But that's what she needed to do. And the mm-hmm. whole reason we were at the meet was, you know, to for the older kids, for Ty and, or for Samantha really to watch the swim meet. My little kids couldn't, could care less. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, and to be there kind of as a family and stuff and, and to watch Haley, I mean, it wasn't like, okay, Haley, you're now done. So now you need to be a part of this, right? It was about her. Mm-hmm. And she literally would warm down for an hour after a race that took, I don't know, a minute or so. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it didn't. Less but, than. Yeah, less than that. <laughs> and so you just, you, that is a person who's taking exceptional care for themselves with deliberate focus and attention. And, but in that, in, in so some people outside of swimming, you know, even within our family or like Pete's family have a hard time understanding that, mm-hmm. right? But in our culture of swimming, a lot of people have a an understanding of it. Some people may get frustrated and that was even a learning curve for me of this is how long an elite level athlete warms down. And then there may even be massage afterwards. It's not being a prima donna. It's about taking care of the body so the body can perform at the high levels of execution needed. Right. As you're going through cancer, you know, people are so afraid to talk about cancer, right? Because mm-hmm. they, it brings up so many emotions and so much. And so some people I'm sure have like hid away. Some people, you know, may not know what the right thing to say. And, and I was in a discussion a couple of years ago. Um, and it actually, it had, it was following after your dad had called to, you know, let me know about, mm-hmm. um, what was going on with you. And I was at a training somewhere and I just said, okay, so how do you, how does one show up? Like, what does one say when you get that phone call? Cause I've now had two in the last six months. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And what do you say? And it's so interesting because these are all their facilitators, coaches like myself, who are in this work of, you know, we 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 talk and how do you communicate and connect? And it was so interesting because that is so personal. We don't know the right thing to say. And so I find that some people, because they don't know what the right thing to say is, they step away mm-hmm. because they don't want to say the wrong thing, right? And then there's some of us, myself can be included, where we can stick our foot in the mouth, right? And and not meaning to and, and right. being, trying to be well-intentioned. And so as you go through this, which is, you know, we have our swimming world or the water polo world or, you know, just being an athlete, right? Where, where there's there's a culture and we kind of know what the language to say and what isn't. But then in this world of cancer, which we're so afraid of because it triggers so many things in us. How do you learn how to become an advocate and ask for what you need to set boundaries and parameters for people who may be stumbling all over themselves? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think most people who have been diagnosed could write some pretty funny stories about things that people have said. Um, But to, you know, the the thing is, is that I remember that, but I remember more the people that haven't said anything. And I think when you're an athlete and you've been working towards something for, for some people, you know, 10 years and you have a bad race, you want people there. Maybe you don't want people there giving you a hug and saying, oh, everything's going to be okay right away. But if you don't hear from the same people that are cheering you on when you win that gold medal or you know make it to Olympic trials, it feels kind of weird. And I think it's the same thing for me with cancer. It's like I want, I want people there for a huge celebration when I'm cured. And I want people there when I you know, when bad news comes again, you know? And so I think that it, you know, it's hard. I only have my experience as a cancer patient. I don't have an experience as a caregiver, as a former coach with an old, older swimmer diagnosed with cancer. I don't have those experiences, but I can say for me, because everyone's different, that silence is the worst thing that you can do when someone's going through a bad time. And I'm not saying that you need to show up at the door, their doorstep bawling and with flowers and chocolates, but I think that it's important to acknowledge people's successes and failures in life. And it's, it's not a failure, but acknowledge when they're going through a hard time and know that that person can bounce back. Like that's, that's my superpower at this point of like, you could throw a lot of really bad news at me at once. And I would say, okay, that really sucks. But guess what? You have more strength in you than you will ever know. And I hope that you don't have to use it, but it's there. I know it's there. I've seen you get through things before and you can get through this. And it's okay if you have bad, bad days. It's okay if you have a bad race. But you have to you know, maintain hope and express those doubts, let them out, and keep going. And I think the boundaries I have set, I've, I have been really open about my diagnosis and sharing my story and telling people, look, 
I hope I can be there for your wedding, but I might have to cancel at the last minute because I'm on call to start this trial in Seattle. And I've had to do that. And I think the boundaries that you set in this are best set with honesty, both to yourself and the people around you. And acknowledging that you only know this experience, just like as an athlete, you only know everything that you've done to put into that race. And you don't know what other people have done or what they're feeling or what they're not feeling. Um, and I think that's that's really important as we go through life of just remembering and having that empathy towards others um, in, in knowing that you're not there for every moment of every day. And as you go through this process of like saying, okay, making the decision about, okay, I will say yes to this wedding, even though I'm not sure what my status will be within this this treatment and this clinical trial that I'm in. Is that an easy decision to make or do you have to kind of rumble with it before you get clear about saying, this is what I need? I think it's changed throughout these 22-ish months. Um, I mean, I think sometimes the needs are really basic of cook me dinner, Mm -hmm. um, come to treatment. And sometimes the needs are a little more nuanced. And people love black and white blog posts that I write of like, I'm going to do this and I have this feeling towards cancer. And then when I see them two months later and I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I really want to get back in that treatment chair. They're like, wait, what? Like, how could you have this thing change or how could, how could your feelings towards this evolve? Um, and they do. I mean, I, I think my as my feelings evolve towards cancer and and my approach to it, my needs change. And so I've I've had to change how I ask for help, um, who I rely on for different things, and kind of let go of any sort of ego around those that can't step up for whatever reason. Okay. So Heather, as we close here, you were an athlete. You played soccer, you swam, you played water polo. You you were a kid that had a lot of zest and a lot of energy. A lot of times I hear parents say, "Well, you know, really, why why be this committed or or why really do this? Why why challenge ourselves? Why skip out on things because it's not like swimming's going to take me take my kid anywhere. They're not going to make money. And I will always be the mm. first to say, absolutely. And <laughs> you shouldn't swim if you think you're going to get a scholarship because that's even you know far-fledged. I look at it as it's a great playground for kids to learn how to grow and develop mm-hmm. courage and resiliency, how to fall down and get back up. You being an athlete throughout your youth and through college, would you would you say it was worthwhile or not in your adult years? I mean, definitely. I think it is such a big part of who I am and the fact that I'm still here 22 months after diagnosis. Um, I just think that the experiences you can have playing on a team being a part of something bigger, learning 
what your body can do and what your body can't do are so much more important than, you know, getting a sponsorship from Speedo, which would be cool too, <laughs> right? But I, I mean, I think the the interesting thing is perhaps it would be different if, uh, and I hate to say this, but if I was a, a, a boy growing up playing basketball that was seven feet tall, you know, the, the odds of you playing in the NBA are quite high if, if that's your, your composition, I suppose. But I think Davis, when I grew up here, and I, I think it's still the same, did a great job of teaching me that I could be an athlete but there were also so many other things in the world um, beyond athletics. And it was great to be at Stanford and see that and have people around me that had never seen a water polo game, you know? And you're like, oh, maybe this isn't such a big deal. But these skills that I'm learning and this dedication and commitment to other people and commitment to what I still believe you know, commitment to a higher cause is commitment to winning an NCAA championship um, is really important because you know yourself more. And I think that is a really important skill to have for any difficult thing that you're facing in your life. If you know yourself, you'll be able to come back to basics. You'll be able to understand, you know, the ability to exercise the muscle of resilience you'll be able to understand how to ask for help um and to get through something i think that's really important and and sports are a fantastic way to do that i don't think despite my dad's intentions that doing more calculus <laughs> problems necessarily get you the same results although calculus <laughs> is very important dad <laughs> Of course you would say that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Heather, on that note, thank you so much for coming today. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be on the show. The reason that I had Heather come and be on the show is that we were talking the other day about swimming and how that has contributed and helped her as she's gone through this with cancer. And so often... I have parents that will come up to me and say, well, you know, my kid's not going to make money at this or um, we get into this transactional mindset. And back 20 some years ago when I first started swimming or not swimming, when I first started coaching swimming, the whole reason was it was my opportunity to teach people about life, to teach kids about life, to teach them of what they were capable of, to move through disappointment, to learn about themselves, to learn how to challenge themselves, to learn how to, my words these days are, to cultivate courage, to cultivate resilience. And that's what I set out to do in the early 90s when I first started coaching and as I transitioned from being an athlete. And Heather's journey is quite challenging in the fact that she can use her experience. And as she says, as an athlete, she was a soccer player, she was a swimmer, she played water polo, but as an athlete and the, the lessons that she learned there and how she can dig into those tools that she has and use them in this other arena of her life and be able to, she already has those skill sets. It's not things that she has to create new. 
It's about applying them in this new arena. And so this, the story of swimming, you know, we often get stuck in these stories of, oh, where did they go to school? Did they become an Olympian? Did they become a gold medalist? Especially as we're tapping into 2016 in Rio, that is not the only outcome of swimming or being an athlete. The story of swimming is what are the lessons that we can learn from it that we can later apply in our life? What have we learned about ourselves that we can tap into as we go through challenging circumstances in our lives? That's why the story of swimming is so important to me. That happens to be the arena that I'm in day in and day out and why I talk about it. And I know I have lots of listeners who are somehow connected to swimming, either themselves, their kids, there's some this they have their own swimming story. And so for me, it's that arena. It's how can we learn about life? How can we learn about who we are in a safe environment so that we can show up? And as Heather said, you know, as we're closing out the show is you have more strength in you than you will ever know. And remembering that and remembering like swimming for me, I mean, it's what it is. I, I love it. I think it's the best sport out there. You may get up on the blocks and be all by yourself, but you're still not alone. You may be fighting cancer, but there's still a team of people with you. You know, I don't know what it's like to experience stage four colon cancer. I don't know what it's like, but I'm still on our team. And the more that we realize that we are not alone, that we are together, that we are connected, and how can we tap into our past experiences to help us move through, right? What are the things that we can go and tap into and help us move through these challenges? Because it doesn't matter who you are. We are all, we all have our challenges. We all go through suffering. But what can we tap into that we already have, that we've already experienced, that can now help us in our present day? And that's really the thing to look at because none of it's wasted. So often we'll say, oh, I wasted 10 years of my life, you know, following a black line at the pool on the bottom of the pool. But how? None of it's wasted. And I think Heather's story is an example of that. It wasn't wasted. It's helped her in her current life, in what she's going through right now. Thank you so much for listening today. It's been a pleasure and an honor to talk with Heather and for her to share her story and insight. And one thing that I invite you to do and the thing that I've even learned from my relationship with Heather in the last 22 months is if you have somebody in your life that's struggling and you're like me and you're worried about, I don't want to impose, I don't want to say the wrong thing, I just invite you to show up. It took me a lot of bravery to do that because I didn't want to impose my way, but just show up in your way that works. And I just invite you to be responsible for the energy you bring into the space. That is so important because when somebody is going through tremendous struggle, their capacity may be full with their own emotions and energy, and they may not have that capacity for you. And if you want to support them, be responsible. If you're a parent and your kid's a swimmer, that's another opportunity for you to be responsible for your own anxiety, your own vulnerability, your own discomfort as your kid is trying to be brave in their race. They don't need to worry about their parents because they're going to have their own emotions. So be responsible with that emotion. That's something that I learned from Joe Bolte Taylor many, many, many years ago when she was on the show, you know, of that we're all connected and be responsible for the energy you bring into the space. 
So thanks so much for listening. And I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.